0: Welcome to another episode of The Root of All Business. This is your host, Jasbir, and today's guest is Claire Samuels. Claire runs her own hugely successful training company, uh, which uses actors and comedy to bring learning to life. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about how to have a difficult conversation. So as she uh, goes around uh, to different organizations and, and uses actors to kind of demonstrate Different situations that appear at work and how to deal with them and how to have those difficult conversations. So she was going to share her methods, her insights, her lessons, and um, how to really approach uh, into having a difficult conversation. So let's welcome Claire. Thank you for joining us, Claire. This is Claire without an eye, and uh, she's got both eyes, but this is the letter I. Um, and thank you for coming on the show. You do. Training, uh, communications training, we're using actors. Uh, let's, let's talk about that. How did you get into that? Sure.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me on your show. It's lovely to be here. And I think ever since I was little, I wanted to be an actor. So I was putting on shows when I was three, four, and five, and it was my dream. So I spent most of my teenage years doing amateur dramatics up in Chester in the Northwest in the local amateur dramatics society, which was really good fun, actually. It gave me really good grounding. And then I was lucky enough to go to drama school at 18. So I trained for three years as an actress and then moved down to London and spent a good few years treading the boards and learning my craft, doing something that's called ASMing, assistant stage managing. So I toured with a rep company as an ASM or an acting ASM. And I'd have a little part in a play, but I would also be doing all the props in the stage management. And I did lots of children's tours and... Then I got the odd advert and little bits of TV. I was in Emmerdale and small things like that. And so that's really how I got into it. I was really, really passionate about it. And particularly, Jasper, around comedy and humor. I really love going to watch comedies. I love sitcoms. I love playing comedic characters. So all of those things just really excite me. Awesome. Do you like stand-up comedy as well? Or? I do love it, yeah. I do do a bit. You know those open mics I only usually do yeah. about five minutes? And uh, yeah, I love doing them. It's a brilliant opportunity because you can get to perform for free and, um, and you get instant feedback. That's what I really like about it. So if people are laughing, it's like, yay, this is going really well. And if they're booing or heckling or not laughing, then you know that that joke's not working. So it's it's really good, as in you know exactly there and then whether or not it works or not. And if it did, that's great. Use it again. If it didn't, then you need to go away and rewrite. But you have to have quite a thick skin, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I, c- I can imagine, you know, sitting down and uh, the minute you don't get the response, I'm, I'm, how do you even regulate your uh, not being upset? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that, that feeling of that. So I have to ask you this question, then who would you say is your favorite stand-up comedian right now?
1: I have to say Peter Kay. Peter Kay. Peter Kay, I just adore the man, absolutely adore him. I watch him and watch him purely because I just laugh still every time. I love everything about him. I love his humour, the fact it's so observational. He does amazing, he has amazing body language, the things he does with his body as well, which is so amusing and uses a lot of slapstick. And he's just phenomenal. I think he's very, very clever. How he can observe things that we would never really think were funny, and then he brings them to life, and we are just, you know, roaring with laughter.
0: He's a genius. Who? What about you, Jasper? Who do you like? Do you like comedy? I love comedy. Yeah, that's uh, that's the music and comedy are things that kind of uh, are stress relievers for me. So I'd say for me, it's uh, Ricky Javiers I think never lets me down. So yeah, I mean, his stuff is pretty cool. Peter K. Uh, what's the other one? Is it Johnny Evans? The guy um is he Welsh guy no he's sorry he's an English guy, you know he runs around the stage, he gets all sweaty and, and all of that um right I, I like Michael McIntyre the moves yeah he's story. pretty good as well he's Welsh, isn't he yeah. yeah yeah, so your your work pretty much involves you know taking actors to organizations and kind of dramatize what actually happens and those difficult conversations. How did that kind of idea pop in your head and and um you know? Why would companies do that? Yeah, brilliant question.
1: So I made the transition from acting on the stage to acting in the corporate world. I think when I realized that I might need to um, pay my rent, (laughs) (laughs) maybe I actually stopped sleeping on people's sofas. So I started to role play for companies and got a lot of knowledge and experience from watching trainers in the training room and listening to learners in organizations and what their issues were. And then I set up an organization where myself would take the actors in. And I think from having so many years in the training room, listening to learners, what their problems were, for me, always what they said was, I've I've got this difficult conversation. I'm dreading having it. I've been putting it off for months. I don't want to have it. I don't know how to have it. And um, it seemed that people, whether they're managers, whether they are frontline staff or whether they're on the board doesn't matter what level you're at there are always difficult conversations to have and so that's why I really wanted to get into it and now I've come up with my own theory around difficult conversations and the best way to have them and so we take the actors and help people have those conversations so once they practice with the actor they can then go out to the real world and have that real conversation with all those tools and techniques that we've given them.
0: Doesn't it, does it not get awkward when people are watching, uh, you know, something and then going, yeah, this is, this is ha- happen it happens or it happened or, or, you know, and then the second part of the question is, it, do companies actually tell you, oh, this is a problem? Can you come and actually do that? Or, or do you have to kind of more explore that or identify that?
1: Yeah, brilliant. So I think the first part of the question about awkwardness It can be awkward. The way we can get around that, obviously, we set up the whole confidentiality in the room beforehand. And because we've spent all morning building rapport with the learners, and we've shared lots of best practice and techniques, and we're all coming from the same place of positive regard, the awkwardness is pretty much gone by the afternoon, which is when we actually practice the conversations. Second part of your question, I'd say the latter, so you're absolutely right, is more case of us identifying and exploring with the organization. So I do what I call a discovery day. So when a client wants to work with me, I'll go into the company and chat to lots of people within the organization, people at all levels and in all departments, and find out what their world's like, what's going on for them. And it might be then we start to pick up that they're saying, actually, I want to talk to IT about this. And people might be saying, actually, customer servers always do that. And so you'll explore that a bit further and find out that actually, with some really good conversations, then we can get around
0: lots of these problems. Is it is it no not more of a process issue rather than of a conversation issue well, between tell me what you mean. departments? Tell me what you mean about that process. Uh, so, for example, let's say if it's between a boss and an employee, uh, you know that could be a difficult conversation. I, I agree with that. Yeah. Now, for example, if you say. You know, if HR says, you know what, customer service always do that or, or IT always does that. So now they're not saying it's an individual, it's a whole department. So isn't that a process issue where they're like, okay, in order to fix that, we can put this process in where they have to follow it and that kind of resolve most of the issues.
1: And very often that might be a, um, a strategy to put a new process in. But what I always find is whether there's a new process in or not to try and help those two organizations communicate better. It's always the human being's communication that lets that down. Right. So, yeah. So it might be that um, IT, customer service are always going to IT and saying, can you fix this? Can you fix that? You know, this is really, really slow. We're on the phone to customers. And because this IT software is so slow, we're having to say to them, sorry, we're just waiting. We're just loading. Unfortunately, the computer's a bit slow. So, so already you've got some conversations there that customer service needs to be having with the customers about how to frame that in a much more positive way. But also if IT are feeling, well, they're just telling us all the time that our, that our IT is slow, they're telling us this, they're telling us that. There needs to be some really good conversations with customer service around what the issues are, why they're having them, what the benefits are to IT for doing them. And almost they need to be having good conversations and influencing IT to come and help them. Because what's happened is IT have put customer service at the bottom of their list, and they're not doing anything to help them because they're so sick of the way that they are talked about within the organization and the way that customer service people approach them, for example. Does that make sense?
0: It does, yeah, yeah. So how do you actually then have this difficult conversation? It's nice, you coming in and, and you know, showing them what might the issue be, and then everybody can get that awareness, or that's what happens. But actually... What, kind of, what are the steps or how do you have that difficult conversation and get yourself prepared and ready for it? And moving forward, you've, I don't want to say a magic formula, but you have something that you can use again and again to have those conversations.
1: Yes, absolutely. So I think it's a brilliant question. I think there are a number of things that really we explore in quite a lot of depth. And to give you an overview strategy of that, there are things like using emotional intelligence So really what we will need to be doing is managing our own emotions whilst we're having that conversation because it's obviously very important to us. We're going to find it difficult to have this conversation with somebody else. So it might be we've been thinking about it for weeks. We've been sweating up at night thinking about it. And if we go in all anxious about it, stressed, worried, however much we say, right, I'm not going to let it get to me, I'm not going to let it get to me, it will be leaking out of our body language and the other person will pick up on that straight away. So we need to do some work beforehand around managing our emotions. When we get triggered, if we know that that person's behavior triggers us, usually we might snap back, we might interrupt, we might raise our voice, we might start pointing at them, we might start saying things like, I don't agree with you, that's not what I said. And immediately we can start to allow that conversation to go into conflict. So there are loads and loads of skills and strategies we can use about managing our emotions, which we talk about. There's something around active listening as well, Jasbir. Bless you. something about active listening. He just sneezed. That's why I said that. Yes, yeah, so active listening, looking at their body language, listening to their tone of voice, not interrupting, asking lots and lots of questions, finding out their point of view before we go in with ours. So I have, a, I have a process called GUESTED, which is an acronym. And the first part of GUESTED, the G, stands for Get the Message Out, Strays Away. And I think that's really key, that you go straight in and you might do a couple of, a few seconds of rapport, but it's very much, I've noticed this, the impacts this, what I'd like us to do is discuss it. Because the more we beat around the bush, the harder it is for us to get it out. And also the other person's going to be sitting there thinking, why did they want to talk to me? Why have I been brought in? Um, so, there's all of those things, plus many, many others, scheduling enough time, make sure that there's a comfortable environment. You asked about preparation, make sure that there's a room where nobody else can hear, make sure you've asked them and given them plenty of time and warning. Um, it, it depends whether or not you want to tell them the subject matter of the meeting, depending on what uh, the meeting's about. Sometimes I'd recommend you don't, because they might worry about it for three days. So, if you were my employee, and I sent you an invite saying, "Jasper, I need to talk to you in three days. It's some feedback about um, Project Delta, and it yeah. a brilliant job that you did. So, come and see me. You might be worrying about that for three days." So, lots and lots of things. Another big one, Jasper: don't make assumptions. So, we must never assume we know how the other person is feeling.
0: Sure. Okay. And and then how do you kind of uh, um, you know? It might be. It might be a tiny issue, but the person that you're dealing with might be at a very high position in the company. How do you kind of, without making, how do you get the facts? That's what I'm trying to get at. How do you get the facts to make sure that you're having a conversation and you're not kind of having your opinions sort about fact-based? Yeah. And of course, there's going to be a lot of politics involved, a lot of uh, resistance involved. How do you get around that and make sure that you're not having a conversation? And just just before you quickly answer that, I, I want to share this with you. Um, I was having a conversation with a friend a couple of weeks ago, and he works for one of the big um, IT companies. And um, during the conversation that came up, he, he found out what I did now, because we hadn't met for a couple of years, uh, more, more, more than a couple of years. And um, he mentioned that he, he, the, the company culture is pretty much, he can go and tell someone who is three, four positions above him, catching their bullshit, really. That's the kind of culture they have right now. And I was baffled. I was like, "That doesn't happen anywhere. Um I didn't believe it at first and I thought, that doesn't happen me because yeah, I've, I've been to people at three four levels above me saying, what you're telling um what you're telling in your speech, it, it was an annual conference speech. and And what actually happened on customer side is two different things. so So he kind of caught that out, and an email went around, and it was all cool and fine. And you know you, everything was fine. He was happy about it. So, how do you kind of deal with that situation? Someone, so you're you're an employee and you're talking to someone who's a CEO, an executive, or someone like that. How do you have that that, that difficult conversation the other way around? Yes.
1: So when you're trying to give somebody feedback, there's three or four tiers above you? Yeah. Um, can you get, just be very specific with me about what 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 do you want the feedback to be around?
0: So, so for example, you know, there, you know, for example, you hear. Um, I want a pay rise, right? I okay. haven't had one in three, four years. Yeah. Um. And this and the executive. This is a very good example because it happens pretty pretty much a lot of the time. <clears throat> so, and, and the CEO comes out and says, "We've had an amazing year. We've made profits." I don't know. That's if that's for the media, if you like, or or publication to say we are a strong company. But that that employee, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that reflected in my pay. Um. So how do I have that difficult conversation with that person? Yeah. And it's very difficult for me to you know, grab a calculator and, and justify saying, this is how much I've added value to the business and therefore I res- deserve this. Yeah, That's from my personal experience. I've seen that a lot where people say, well, we hear that the company's doing really well, but we yeah. never see that in our pay yeah, or, or any other way.
1: Yeah. It's a brilliant, brilliant question. And um, for that person who wants that pay rise, yes, he can go to the CEO and have that conversation or he can go to somebody, you know, he go to his direct line manager and have that conversation. It might be more beneficial for that person to go to the direct line manager because they'll have more information. But what I would highly recommend is that that person book some time in the diary, either with his line manager or her line manager or the CEO, even if it is the CEO, and go in and say, and be very, and as you use the word facts, I'd go in with the facts and go in with the evidence. So as soon as we start to say, I really want to have a conversation with you about um, payment. I feel I've exceeded on X, Y, and Z. Here's my results. This is what I've done. This is feedback I've got from around the organization. This is where I've added value. I've noticed I've not had a pay rise for four years. The impact is it's starting to demotivate me, and I don't want to be in the position when I'm looking for jobs elsewhere. Please, can, you, can we have a conversation about a pay rise? and then shut up and use silence and see what they say. And that's all very fact-based and evidence-based. And you have to go in with your evidence. You have to go in with brilliant examples of projects that you've worked on, projects that you've led that's been really successful. I'd also go in with evidence about how your project has financially added um, money to the organization. So how it's added value in monetary terms. What I hear a lot of, and this might be what what you're referring to, is I hear a lot of people say... To their CEO or to their manager. Do you know what? It's just not fair. We've just had this massive meeting. It's just been published in the papers that we are exceeding our profits 12% this year. We've made all of this money and I haven't had a pay rise for years. It's just not fair. I don't understand. And that is a very different way and what most people do because they're working from their emotions. And as we talked about earlier, one of the first things you need to do is learn to manage your emotions. And as you've said, which is brilliant about using facts, when we're having difficult conversations, we need to go in with facts and evidence. And that's not to say, 3.79, it says on this document, I did this. What we're saying is, this is where I've had value in the organisation. I put all these hours in. (laughs) I worked really hard and I'd love to talk to you about how I might be recompensed for that. What are your thoughts?
0: Right. And then how do you, um, so you, you went in and, and for example, that's the kind of advice you've given or, or, uh, or you've set this stone and saying this is how you do it how do you kind of make sure that once you've left because people are people right they'll tend to go back to their old ways very quickly yeah. and then you've left then how do you kind of ensure that you've left them with something oh, the word process keeps coming on my mind yeah. that something is set now and that's kind of the thing they follow but having said that processes should always be reviewed and improved brilliant right yeah how do you make sure that you that keeps happening and and then And then when, once you leave that, they'll, they're going to follow that. A lot of companies spend a lot of money on trainings and getting brilliant people in like yourself, they do all this training, do amazing work and you know what, and they hire amazing consultants and you know what, they hardly implement anything and then kind of carry on with it fully.
1: Yeah, it's a really, really, really good point. And what, and I think there are lots of ways that organizations do it, the way that I do it is all of those people, they've all got my details, so they have one-to-one access to me after the event's taking place, so they can contact me at any time. I say to everybody they can have an hour Skype or Zoom call with me, and they can do that either before they have the conversation or afterwards. And I highly recommend that we do that and that we debrief the conversation once they've had it and say, how did it go? What skills did you use? What did you find easy? What did you find difficult? So there's that. I also very often sell into organizations a follow-up. So I'll say eight weeks after the event, if there's a number of delegates, so 15, for example, of course, I'd go in and have another two-hour session with those 15 people. And we'd all have conversations about how we have found having our difficult conversations. Also starting to get into digital learning now as well. So I have made a, um, a 28-minute video that I can send you after this, which is my guested theory And I talk about each stage of it and they can have that and they can have access to that video as well. So anytime they think, "Well, what was actually said about emotional intelligence, they can go and have a look. So there are things like that that we can implement and put in place. But the big part of what I do, as you know, because we've had that session in the afternoon, if it's a one-day course or on day two, if it's a two-day course, where they actually get to practice those skills as we know, when you start to do something, you're at least 80% more likely to learn it and remember it. So because they're having those conversations with us on the day and remembering all the skills, they're physically doing it, they're more likely to remember it. Right. But to go back to your point, you're absolutely right. Everything needs to be reviewed and monitored. And I'll do that by going in or I'll be able to do it digitally with them.
0: Right do you think now you know that there's a lot of uh, um, it's a big market and it's you know there's a lot of coaches now a lot of coaching has become a really popular thing and a very
1: oh everybody's a coach now Josh. everybody's yeah. a coach everyone's, yeah. to, everyone's a coach and everybody wants a coach yeah yeah that's I don't know it. I've Northern, but yes
0: yeah it used to be consultants and now it's more kind of coaching is, is now in fashion what about Using coaching as an approach now uh, with, with managers. Uh, I mean, I've had this experience, and even now I see that in organizations where you kind of walk in and um, there's a lot of accidental managers where they have been given a promotion, they're leading teams simply because, you know, this guy can do the job, he's been doing really well. Doesn't mean they're trained, doesn't mean they know how to deal with people, doesn't mean they have people skills. They have been promoted, and once they get their ego gets inflated, And they become this micromanager boss where people then start to leave. I've seen that time and time again. A lot of organizations don't take that into consideration. So how much do you think a coaching approach will help in having a difficult conversation?
1: I think it will. I think a coaching approach and a coaching culture, as you will know, because you're an absolute expert in this field, I think it's really key. And I really think it links into organizational success. Because I think if there's a coaching culture within an organisation, then that's a culture that's open to questioning, is open to sharing best practice, is open to inquiry and knowledge sharing. And if we haven't got that, and to use some of your words, you know, we have those managers that they have an inflated ego, or they're micromanaging, or they're starting to tell people what to do because they think they're better. That's when I've seen organizations' profits drop, actually, because everybody's demotivated, everybody's disillusioned. And if people at the top are being dogmatic and dictatorial, then that's going to filter down, as you know. And the middle managers, even though I might do a day with them, they'll say to me, Claire, why should I have a nice open coaching culture with my staff, where my boss is always telling me what to do? So as, again, as we know, it, it really, for it to be hugely effective, it needs to start at the top. I think those coaching cultures are really, really important. And what's wonderful about the work we do is we see that in the training room with the actors. We can see that people immediately go into tell mode. And as soon as they start to practice those open questions and practice that coaching culture, they love it and it's like a massive light bulb moment. And they say, "Oh gosh, it was so much easier for me to ask all the questions and get them to do all the work. Rather, yeah. than me go on my agenda, and when you start to see those little light bulbs happen, those light bulb moments happen, it's it's wonderful, and they get to see the benefits of it.
0: It's it's almost like coaching has this power of, you know, if somebody says I'm not very good at building a rapport, coaching is one of those professions, or if you like, or that everybody has a coach in them. If you if you can get into that space, you can really build healthy, good connections because it's an Open thing. It's an open mind thing, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm here to listen. I'm going to ask you questions. I'm going to explore. I think that really helps open up people, and, and they can share their their knowledge. So, I, I, from from my perspective, I think if more managers and more leaders did that, I think organisations will absolutely thrive. I'm sure you've seen that too. Here's a question for you. When do you think, when you're having a conversation, a difficult conversation, is pushing the line? Because there's always be that certain someone where they think they are being Blame they're being harassed. No matter which angle you try, not everybody's open. Not everybody is. Everybody has to protect their space and their ego and whatever you want to call it. When do you know you're not pushing the line? Because sometimes we, are, we not, may not have that great greater self awareness. Mm-hmm. Here's here's an example. Like you sent me this brilliant video about this person uh, <laughs> way you were acting, and you, you know they had this um, beer problem, and you know, and you may not be aware of it. And just before that, I'll, I'll, share, I'll share the story. So Claire sent me a video that she did and I'll put, put the link um, alongside her other video she's going to send. I'll put the link so you can have a look. And in that video, she's demonstrating where her, her boss or manager or colleague is trying to have this conversation with her about her hygiene and, 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 and bio and, and he's kind of struggling. And towards the end, he just puts a spray. Now, if you are the person who's kind of the subject, if you like, who's not aware, you might have some health issues, you might have whatever, and you're not aware that you you smell bad, let's put it that way, and the other person's trying to tell you something, you may take that the wrong way, right? How do you know that you're not pushing them? It doesn't become harassing at, at some point. Yes. I have seen that, and, and I remember we were having this conversation, I mentioned to you that uh, quite a while ago, I was uh, on this project I was working, uh, it was a contract, and there's certain someone didn't take de- didn't take care of their hygiene very well. So everybody started to notice every time this person sits, everybody would disappear or move away or cover their face. <laughs> and, uh, and eventually the manager had to have this conversation. Luckily he was a very popular guy. The manager, he was a very nice person. Took them in another room and said, look, people are complaining. You need to take care of your hygiene. And this person comes out and he's raging and, and going, who complained about me? And, uh, everybody's trying to keep it mute and saying, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Um, and eventually they go home, they come back, look, I've showered now, I'm all okay. And, you know, for the next few days, it was, it was quite a, uh, it, it was very difficult, you know, kind of speaking to that person because they're very enraged and thinking how dare you, I mean, that kind of went away slowly, but the, the conversations with that person became quite toxic after a while because they kept on saying, oh, well, because I smell, that's why. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there's other situations I've seen where the person keeps on thinking, because I'm a certain way, that's why you're treating me this way. Do you see that they carry on? Yes, yeah. How do you kind of get the right balance of you're not pushing the animal up too much and at the same time you're trying to, you get the message across?
1: Yeah, so it's it's a brilliant question. Thinking about the BO conversation that you had, so HR, um, people very often say that body odour is one of those you know, top five, top 10 conversations that, to have that, that are very difficult. And um, it is a fine line, and we can't push people over the line. I totally understand that. Where the example you gave me, when the guy came out in rage saying, people have been complaining about me, I completely understand that. And one of the skills that we talk about a lot when we have this different conversation course that we run is all about as the manager or the person that's having a conversation, has to take full accountability and ownership. So they need to be saying themselves, John, I've noticed that every time you come into a room, there is a certain smell. The impact is, so it has to come from me, not from everybody in the team saying, John, that you smell, because immediately that's what's going to happen. So there is something about um, managing, taking ownership and accountability that I highly recommend. And in terms of pushing over the line, for me, when we're in um, difficult conversation territory, there are times, particularly if it is to do with the Disability Act, Disability Protected Characteristic that comes under Equality Act 2010, anything to do with disability or medical, I very often say, you really need to have a conversation with HR before you go and do anything with your people. Because there are times where HR needs to have that conversation and not us. And um, so definitely those I wouldn't conquer. But what I would do is definitely say that using all the skills, the techniques, being objective, using facts and evidence, actively listening, taking that beautiful coaching technique, you would never be seen to be pushing the line because you couldn't be because you are taking on this objective persona and you are using
0: managing your emotions. So it's almost like make sure no, nobody carries, sorry, no manager carries a list of card of your medical conditions. So just to be sure you should cover yourself and make sure there isn't an actual issue where Absolutely. the person's probably even not aware of that, you know, they're causing that. Absolutely. Awesome. Here's a question for you then. What's the most difficult conversation you've had? Oh, gosh, that's a brilliant
1: question. That's a really, really good question. I think I was many, many years ago when I had another uh, business actually, which I've sold now, but I had another business and I went to do a proposal. Uh, I'd I'd written a proposal and I went to have the interview with potential clients. It was really important to me, this this interview. And I I took somebody else in with me, another consultant, and this particular consultant had an area of expertise. And I, I'm not being just justified. i would I'd said so beautifully clearly. I mean, I've made it very, very clear. Um, I would love you. Let's call this person Jeff. It wasn't Jeff. I said, Jeff, I would love you. So this is the meeting it's going to be an hour. This is our first 25 minutes. At about minute 10, we really need to talk about your area of expertise. So I'd love you to come in here, please, and talk about that bit. And then um, I'll do the rest and I'll do the beginning. And bless Jeff. God love the man. He talked over me, Jasper, from the second we got in there. And it was my company. And it was almost as if he was, it felt like, I'm, you know, I'm here. I'm going to sell to you. I'm the expert. I'm the alpha male. And I am good. And it got to the point where... About fifteen minutes in I started to um I started to just make take the mic really out of it and just get everybody laughing because I just didn't know what other than use humour, I didn't really know what else to do. Anyway, the great news was we got the job, but the difficult bit for me was having to give him the feedback afterwards and literally go through and tell him how he'd made me feel. And I think it was so hard because he was very unaware that he was doing it. Right. Really nice bloke, but totally unaware. So that was really, really hard. What was harder was the build up to it probably than the actual conversation. But that was
0: very difficult. Yeah, it's it's that story that goes in your head. How is it going to go? If they say this, I'll say this. And you know. Um And he was also quite a good friend as well. So that made it even harder. Wow. Yeah, I can imagine that. And of course,
1: Jasper, he was saying, Oh my gosh, but I can't believe you're saying I wanted you to get the work, Claire. I wanted you to win it. That's why I was doing all of this. But you didn't have the self-awareness to see that actually by him doing all of that was really undermining
0: and demeaning me. How, how do you kind of tackle that problem? You know, we, we all do that. You know, once we, if we, we know that there might be a possibility that, that this might get heated, there might be an argument, um, you know, it may not go as we are thinking. Um, and then we start building these stories in our head. And then we kind of, forget the core and the gist of the message we're trying to get across. Yeah. How do you kind of deal with that? I believe there's some kind of emotional intelligence involved in this, yeah. but how do you kind of, uh, how do you go into that? Being prepared without being prepared, if you know what I mean? Like you're not preparing the yeah. answers, but you're emotionally ready going. Yeah. How do you do that? Um,
1: so I think you go in emotionally ready, having really prepared for the meeting, having real clarity about what you're going to say, a great way to prepare. There's a beautiful little model, and again, I'll send you a document with it on, and it's called AID. It's a very well-known feedback model. And the A is action, the I is impact, and the D is do. And, it, and I would write down before you go into the meeting what you're going to write for AID. So it might be that I'm a manager and I've got to tell a member of staff they've been late five times in the last fortnight and actually it's really impacting the team. And this, this staff member's lovely. They're really gobby. They're really nice. Um, they're really friendly, but they're quite intimidating character. We used to be on the same level, but now I'm the team leader. And because I'm a bit of an introvert, I'm talking about my character now, <laughs> it's very hard for me to give this feedback. So I'm going to be nervous and emotional. So what I do to, to really prepare myself is I'm going to write down A to so action. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to think, so the actions always I've noticed or I've observed. I've noticed, um, Linda, You've over the last 10 days, you've been late five times The impact is the rest of the team can't complete the workload by the end of the day. We all have to stay late. What I'd love you to do differently is to come in on time, what are your thoughts on that, and then shut up and use silence and let them tell you. So I would have that written down with that aid, the action, the impact, and the do. Not that you're going to sit there with a bit of paper and read it, but that you're really clear on what that is. Because as soon as you've got that out on the table, which is the first part of my process, and you've used aid, then your hard work is done. And then you do what Jasbir does, and you go into that beautiful coaching mode, and you're not on your agenda now. You're totally on that. You've done your agenda at the beginning, no. delivering the feedback. And then they might say, I've got childcare issues, after think there's road work, the buses have changed. There might be a whole load of stuff that they tell you there that you sure. can have a beautiful coaching conversation with them.
0: Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's what I was getting at. That pretty much, there always must be something. It might be, I don't know. It might be, might be health related. It might be, you know, if your your bus times have changed, like you said, a minute here and there. I've seen it myself. You you leave a minute late and you're ten minutes late, and you know it has a knock-on effect. Kids' school timings kind of changed. It could be a number of reasons. You don't know that. That's pretty awesome. And now we're coming towards the end of the show. How can people find you, connect with you, ask you questions and That's very kind. I have got
1: a website which is ww.noironclare.co.uk. I'm on LinkedIn. I've just set up my own Facebook NoIon Clare training page. So you're very welcome to get in touch with me through any of those mediums. I'm on Twitter and just recently on Instagram. So if you just Google my name, Claire Samuels or NoIon Claire, all of those will come up. All my contact details are there. Drop me an email. That's claire at noironclaire.co.uk. I think you know how to spell the Claire. C-L-A. <laughs> um, that's <laughs> that's an easy it. conversation. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, drop me an email. Drop me a text. I'm very happy to uh, to put in a strategy call and have a chat with you. But I'd love to hear from any of you.
0: Thank you. Awesome. Um, any last words before we go?
1: Just a jazz bit. As ever, it's an utter pleasure to um, be talking with you today. Thank you for your incredibly insightful questions. And I look forward to collaborating with you again very soon.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Take
1: care. Cheers.
0: I hope you got some great value and insights from this episode. If, and if you're someone who wants to transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur, then I have some great free resources for you. If you visit www.jazzbearaurora.com, that's www.jazzbearaurora.com, and drop me a line, I will send you an ebook and also a one-hour masterclass. And also um, go and take the escape the 95 survey, uh, which will help you understand where you are right now um, and where the gaps are in your knowledge to transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur. And if you're a business and you need help growing, or if you have any uh, issues that you'd like to discuss, then yeah, once again, visit the website and I'll be more than happy to help you. Thank you for listening.